0: Hey there. This is Katie Tute. I'm a coach for highly motivated professionals and leaders who wish to elevate their careers and lives. I help them unleash their potential and stand in their strength. I'm a believer that courage is the key to transformational change in every area of our lives, our work, leadership, and our communities. This podcast is Choosing Courage, where we get curious about what it takes to live with guts and heart. Today, I'm with Danielle Young to talk about her transformational healing journey, which she calls a year of Donna, where she took a year long sabbatical to practice generosity. In her own words, this year was spent actively cultivating a heart set and mindset of abundance and dismantling mental conditioning and behaviors based in scarcity and fear. Danielle's journey is absolutely inspiring and the way she tells it is thoughtful, insightful and downright beautiful. I'm so grateful to Danielle for her transparency and vulnerability in sharing her story with us so that we can all learn to soften our own hearts. Now let's dive in.
1: Uh, so, hey, Katie. Uh, hi. Hi. It's so good to be here with you. My name is Danielle Jung. I am a newly certified integral coach, which I'm really excited about. And I uh, What's important to share about me is I am the youngest of four to, uh, to Vietnamese uh, refugees uh, who came here after the war, and uh, my journey has uh, kind of intersected here with uh, just this process of uh, learning more about who I am and, and this process of returning home to myself. Really, my, my purpose, I'm, I'm realizing very clearly, is uh, just to practice and cultivate a more awakened mind and a soft heart for the benefit of all living beings. One thing to add is I think I'm, I'm a retiring conventionalist in some way. A
0: retiring conventionalist? Yes. Say more. <laughs>
1: Just that I've been living this very conventional life uh, the last 35 some years, and I am starting to, well, I guess I have already been starting to, but just with more clarity and boldness and steadiness, um, stepping onto a path that is unknown.
0: Mm. And unknown to? To me, to the world. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Love that. So, can you tell us about this past journey for you, and dive more into what this journey into an unconventional life has looked like? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So, I'd say about uh, three three years ago, uh, after a very important and breakthrough conversation that was completely unexpected with my sister and mom, uh, it. It became obvious to me that I was really at the bottom of, of my own well of suffering, without having realized that I fell to the bottom of it. And it felt cold, and it, it felt um, like very. It felt like I was very far from myself in this moment of my life. And I realized that I had been suppressing suppressing, uh, a great deal of suffering throughout my life um, in my own upbringing and also uh, throughout a a long relationship that I had with someone that I loved very deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, And so waking up to that and uh, taking myself out of that denial was just the beginning to the past three or so years of a spiritual journey that has um, allowed me to, to walk home to myself.
0: Mm-hmm. How did you find that self-awareness? Because so often when we're in a really, like you said, you say the deep well of suffering, when we're in that, it's so hard to see the, um, to have the awareness of the reality and how we got there and what where we are. So how did you find that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I I wasn't seeing clearly for a really long time. What I realized at this juncture is I was just um, buried under layers and layers of uh, conditioned living, Uh, buried under stories and narratives about who I thought I was, um, who I was supposed to be. And so all these ideas and expectations of uh, the person I needed to be in this world kept me from seeing how um, unhappy I was with how small I had become uh, under these conditions, under these layers and under these expectations that people around me had of me.
0: Mm-hmm. You said it was a conversation you had with your mom and your sister. Well, that kind yeah. of sparked it.
1: Yeah. So, uh, It was yeah, Thanksgiving of 2018. Uh, I was hiding. I was hiding from my family emotionally. I was hiding from myself and my very unlike my my family. uh, My my sister and my mom cornered me, and they're like, "What is going on?" And I remember my sister telling me, "Your eyes—they're just—they're just so sad." Uh, and the, there's there's like an absence to you in in your eyes, and um, I just broke out. Yeah. I broke out into tears, and um, I was trying to to deflect to, to, to other things in life. Like I was busy with work, and I was you know busy doing all these things. And I was, I absolutely mm-hmm. was. I was giving myself to all these other things except myself, and so. You know, the two people who, who love me the very most in my life, really coming in and uh, asking me to be honest with myself is really what uh, opened my heart to the truth, mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm. truth of my own suffering.
0: How long did it take to find that opening, to find that truth? Was it was it obvious right away or did it take some digging?
1: Well, it was, it was definitely an unfurling process, but the moment that it did break open, the moment where I felt seen by my sister in particular, uh, it felt fast moving. It felt fast moving. You know, like so many of us live our lives just feeling so unheard and so unseen, and so we... We don't see ourselves and we don't hear ourselves, but when, when others can, can reflect that for us and be our, our mirrors of truth, we can look at ourselves in the mirror with much more clarity. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So with that conversation, um, I had just, uh, started this mindfulness, this secular mindfulness program at East Bay meditation center. A meditation center based in Oakland, California, and that for me was this container, this community that I didn't know that I needed. I knew something needed to change, and this came across uh, my my attention and my teacher uh, uh, at the time. She she was what I needed. She was like this um, this. This sharp sword that I, I needed to cut through some of the some of the realities that I also wasn't seeing, uh, and then to be held in community by uh, this group was also quite powerful. and And so, in this program, I started. Uh, well, I returned to a practice of meditation consistently for for many months. Uh, this year, this program was a year long. Mm, well, yeah. And I attribute so much to my waking up at that juncture to to this community, to this sangha.
0: What was it that meditation and that community gave you to waking up?
1: <sighs> it's funny. A lot of people, most of my life, would say, Danielle, you're like one of the most calm, most composed people I know. uh uh-huh. And it was confusing to me every time people told me that because I didn't feel that way in my own mind. And so this program really, well, one, taught me some really concrete tools and skills and techniques to actually cultivate this quietness of mind. Um, and not just even quietness of mind, because, you know, any beginning meditator knows that uh, <laughs> ridding our, our mind of thoughts is actually quite difficult, uh, but more so cultivating an attention to our minds and to be able to see what is arising and not forcing it away, not shoving it away like I, I did quite quite regularly. And just to meet my mind and to see the contents of it more clearly.
0: Yeah. Well, and what was it like when, like, was there a moment where you kind of made that, shift like that everything just kind of clicked in for you and you saw your mind and saw yourself
1: i don't know that it was a single moment it was a Mm -hmm. series of 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 several moments uh really uh that started to show and to reveal to me this this heavy armor Hmm. this heavy suit of armor that i was wearing yeah so the the, (laughs) the heavy armor was what I had referred to earlier, just these stories about who I was, these expectations, these patterns of behavior, how I was showing up my life that really wasn't working so well for me.
0: Yeah. Instead of serving you, it was serving against you.
1: Yeah. And yeah, it was mm-hmm. causing this, this great weight. And so my mind and, and the meditation practice started to um, revealed to me actually how heavy it was all feeling on my body, and uh, and I remember um, March of 2019, I I was kind of deepening in my in my meditation practice into my spiritual practice, and I I had this this beautiful reflection around wanting to reinvent myself and acknowledging that there was this, this suit of armor, this, this, this thick skin I was wearing, that was masking me and my own authentic way from the world. And so part of the, you know, taking off of the armor, um, began shifting a lot of things in my life. Yeah. One of the most painful, most significant decisions I ever made was, was to leave my marriage at the time. You know, someone I'd loved for uh, 15 years uh, and um, struggling to see myself in the relationship, just not knowing who I was anymore and feeling really far from, from who I was.
0: Mm-hmm. And did you come to that realization in that taking off the armor process or did you feel like you knew that early on and taking off the armor gave you the confidence and the courage to go forth with it?
1: That's that's a tough question to answer in that it's a little bit of both. part Part of it was not knowing so clearly. And then part of it was out of love, wanting to stay attached to the possibility that I saw for this relationship. And at, at some point I was pushed to my edge and I had I had two choices. I had the choice of either choosing myself to keep my heart soft to keep my heart tender or to move towards hardening myself and keeping that armor on so that I could survive uh, what wasn't working for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was it like to have to ask yourself that question? It's the hardest question I've
1: ever had to ask myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to let go and to walk away from someone and, and something that I had treasured for so long and put so much love into and put so much energy into. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in some way, it, it it was the most clear decision that prompted for me another series of clear decisions that I've been making since.
0: Mm. Tell me more what you mean by clear. A clear decision.
1: A decision that is rooted in a knowing inside of me. A quiet, steady knowing and a knowing that I could only hear when I was still with myself and still within. And I think most of us and myself included for most of my life, we we like to keep ourselves in the noise of chaos because there is a fear of listening to that voice sometimes
0: absolutely absolutely having the background music play is more exactly. comfortable than the silence exactly mm-hmm.
1: because in the silence in the spaciousness in the stillness we have to meet ourselves and and many of us myself included are terrified of of what we're meeting in ourselves
0: yeah yeah. And we spent a lot of time working to avoid ourselves.
1: Exactly. It's amazing. That was part of my weight, you know, the weight I was carrying, just really staying focused outside myself, uh, focus on other people's needs, focus on getting things done, focused on, uh, giving all of myself to everything, but myself.
0: I feel and I hear that people are afraid of um, going into therapy or going into coaching because they're afraid to see of what they're going to have to do down the road. You know, like if sometimes if they do know, I do need a divorce, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to say it. And so they don't approach going into therapy because they're afraid of doing that thing. The most courageous thing is opening the door to the therapist's office. Yes. It's not necessarily the divorce itself. It's opening the door. Oh, that is the most courageous step.
1: That absolutely. I couldn't agree more because at uh, most of us assume we know what's going to happen if we do open the door. Exactly. Yeah. But the truth is we don't know it is an absolute mystery and we're, we're not raised to uh, embrace the magic of mystery.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're taught to fear. Yeah, because mystery.
1: mystery is dark, you know,
0: mm-hmm. it's known
1: to be dark and and dark is known to be bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me more about this. You said back in, it was like 2019.
1: Yeah. Well, March was when I, I knew that I needed to shift something in my life. And, and, and my marriage was one of the pieces that I had to shift again at this point. things just started to shatter
0: Hmm. uh,
1: internally and then externally. Uh, I moved out and lived on my own for the first time. Um, And then by the end of the year, uh, things at work were no longer working. And so I decided to leave a pretty good, full-time, well-benefited job in healthcare at the start of COVID. Um, Working with a premier company that was at the forefront of uh, combating the virus, you know, walked away from an opportunity to contribute in that way as well. And so those were the two most seismic shifts in my life. Uh, and then day-to-day, a ton of shifting was happening in, inside me as well, um, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. So it was just a, a, a whole spiral of shifts and decisions that I was making with much more clarity, again, like I shared, than I'd ever experienced before. I Pretty much before those couple of years, the way I made decisions was was very much like my Myers Briggs type ESFJ. Uh huh. <laughs> Extremely analytical, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I need a spreadsheet for everything with all the variables laid out. I will have needed to talk to like four of my mentors and eight of my friends and listen to everybody and then decide.
0: Yep i hear you yeah i was just having a conversation with um on a podcast with um stephanie Gianarelli, my acupuncturist and we talk about the like making intuitive decisions right making and um she said you know you're not making an intuitive decision when you're making a pros and con list
1: right yes but and that's how so we're ta- true.
0: That's how we're taught to make decisions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's what we're
0: to- told works.
1: And and what I didn't realize was even the weight of a process like that. Like for me, the story I used to tell myself was I was being thorough. I mm-hmm. was I was being diligent. Uh, I was, you know, tapping into all the, the, the wisdom around me. And while, you know, that was all true. It, it it wasn't always in line with what was most true for me.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And that's where a lot of my suffering resided. So the shifts I started to make, then <laughs> I, I surprised myself. You know, I started, I guess, just swooshing around and just making decisions, not talking to anybody but myself. And really feeling good about what I was allowing for myself.
0: So when you were having, when you were making these clear decisions, what was that process like for you of getting clear and getting more into that knowing?
1: I know this sounds really simple. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it, it, it's profound how simple it is, but it was really, uh, like sinking into my practice of stillness, meditation, spaciousness, uh, and quietude. I I know it sounds like too simple, but it, it was really giving myself, uh, the permission to take space that I have never taken in my life. And in, in fact, you know, when, when, when the decision around my marriage came to me, I was, I was laying under a gigantic tree in the grass at a park in San Francisco.
0: Walk us through that moment.
1: Mm. I was, uh, I went to the city to meet a friend and I had a few hours, uh, and, I decided to find a little spot in the grass and do what I loved to do, which was just to to lay. And um, I was reading, or rereading actually, one of my most favorite spiritual books ever that really changed a lot for me, uh, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And I had read a chapter on thorns and how we remove the thorns of our lives and how to be with the thorns of our lives. and I set the book down, I closed my eyes, I felt the sunshine on my face. I felt the breeze on my skin. I looked up at the big tree and that's when it arrived to me that I, I just I didn't I didn't want to spend any more time hardening. My heart, it was just it's just it was just too tender and too soft to uh to allow the kind of
0: suffering to persist. And what what did you do next?
1: Uh, well I hung out with my friend and it was a nice afternoon. Uh and then you know, still still in my pattern of is this the right decision, is it not? I, I talked to a couple close friends at the time. Mm-hmm. I expressed how I was feeling. They were very loving and supportive of my own happiness. And and then I took a few more days. It took a few more days to myself to be with that, to be with it in quietness.
0: Mm-hmm. And you knew.
1: I knew. And then I, I'd mm-hmm. asked my therapist. Uh, I had a we were working with a couple therapists at the time and I had a conversation with her one-on-one and I was like, how will I know for sure? Because a decision like that, no matter if you do know in your gut, there will be parts of you that will still question because of, of the love that you have for the other person.
0: Yeah, or of the possibility.
1: Or of the possibility, of the attachment to the possibility and the mm-hmm. attachment to the history.
0: hmm hmm
1: And so, of course, there were doubts. Uh, but my therapist, she, after I asked her, how will I know, she got quiet, and she said, Danielle, it will be a steady, quiet knowing in your body.
0: It's amazing what our bodies can tell us.
1: Yes. And I, I'd been so disconnected from my body Uh, out of survival mode. But what was I trying to survive from? You know, um, the survival mode was, I'm realizing I was, I was gifted it from my parents and from my ancestral lineage. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's been part of my journey as well was really, um, growing some discernment around, well, who's, whose fear am I holding right now? Yeah. Say more to that. What I'm learning right now, uh, is more about this, this concept of intergenerational healing and, and trauma and that a lot of who we are is passed down from us, from our parents and their parents and their parents and their parents. And there are cycles, there are cycles of behavior. There are cycles of experiences that continue on, um, without some awareness to it. And, you know, one of the most obvious ones to me now is this inheritance of fear, uh, a fear of, of loss, fear of failure, um, you know, with my parents having been refugees of the war in Southeast Asia, having fled their home with nothing and not knowing their, the outcome of, of their journey. It's, it's made my mom in particular an extremely cautious terrified woman even at the smallest thing that really has no reason to be scared about and so when we talk about this this fear of the darkness of certain things that some of that is 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 inherited by previous generations
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's that um you know what are we what are the family wounds that we hold ourselves we aren't even aware of exactly Mm -hmm.
1: exactly so uh, the 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 gift of of awareness of these wounds is being able to see where in our lives these wounds are serving us and where they're not and working to heal them not just for ourselves but for our parents and for their parents and for ancestors who are watching over us
0: and for our future generations exactly too exactly
1: yeah. it works both ways
0: yeah yeah i like to think of it too as saying like okay this you know the the line stops here like i'm not going to allow that to carry forth i'm not going to let my son carry my baggage for me
1: right right and that's speaking of choosing courage that takes courage to do as a parent
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it, it's it's not easy to confront you know there's a, there's a lot of pain uh that gets unraveled in the, in the being in the confrontation of those things,
0: you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's
1: why it's so important for, for us on our healing journeys to have the love and support with us to, to tend to, to the challenging process of uncovering
0: these things. So things were really shattering around in your life. And then you went on a spiritual journey Mm -hmm. after that. Can you tell us about what that spiritual journey was?
1: Yes. So after leaving my job, uh, I set intentions uh, that came to me actually during some Reiki healing work that I was doing. It occurred to me that I, I wanted to spend a year uh, focus on this concept uh, called dana. Well, it's not a concept; it's an it's an action. It's it's a way of being. Dana is a Sanskrit poly word for generosity, hmm. and it is a foundational quality for uh, for for people who are committed to relieving the suffering of all beings until there's no longer any suffering
0: in the world. Mm, That's a commitment.
1: (laughs) It is a real Uh commitment, almost impossible maybe for some people to, um, yeah, may seem impossible for many. Uh, but generosity for me, it was such a personal journey to take, um, and to focus on, uh, so I called it a year of Donna mm-hmm. and I set a bunch of intentions that centered around uh, how I wanted to live more deeply in my life or how I, how I wanted to try a new way of being in the world and being in my own life. And Generosity was something that I really needed to reclaim within me uh, for many reasons. Uh, It it is a quality that I feel that I've had my whole life, but in the, the years leading up to the divorce, really felt had gotten away from me. And this focus on... Making this year be around generosity was uh, a way for me to be explicit about how I wanted to live my life moving forward.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And generosity towards myself and towards others.
0: And how did the timing of that play with it being COVID? Because I know, you know, for so many of us, March 2020 and that time period was just such a catalyst for change.
1: Right. It, it was impeccable timing, actually. Of course, I think if it was not a year of COVID, it, it could have looked quite differently. You know, I, I had um, desires to do some volunteering work, I had some ideas for traveling, but uh, in some way, my wish for more stillness, more spaciousness, and more silence really came to be because of this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And and so I laugh because um, it's exactly what I, I needed. And, um, you know, a lot of people were asking, oh, you know, You can't, you can't do your eat, pray, love journey anymore. And I was like, yeah, I am. I'm eating and I'm praying and I'm loving like right here. Right from home. Right from home in my 100 foot studio in North Oakland. All good. Uh All good. I was eating well. I was Uh praying. I was praying a ton and I was loving, loving hard uh, on myself and, and the people in my life. So I still feel like I had that journey.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell me about that journey. What were some of the lessons you learned in that? Ah,
1: I think I think the lessons are still re- revealing themselves, but um, I had a, a really good friend uh, about a month before the year started, kicked off. I had sent a few friends just a list of these intentions that I had about how I wanted to spend my time. And my friend very lovingly, and very pointedly responded to me. And she said, Danielle, you say that your intention is to take some time and to rest and to get some space. But it seems like there's a lot of stuff here you want to do <laughs> on this list. So I, there seems to be some some lack of um, congruence here with what you want and, and, and what I'm reading. Oh, what a gift. What a gift mm-hmm. she was! What a gift that feedback was! And so, I took that to heart. And for the first six to seven months, I made myself scheduleless, which, as an ESFJ, is terrifying. Hmm. I had to set up boundaries that I've never set up before. Boundaries mm-hmm. was a very new concept for me at the time as well, and stay relentless to this idea of space stillness and silence and so for the six to seven months i wouldn't schedule anything in advance wow uh, yeah well COVID helped with that that's right? a good
0: point yeah there wasn't much to schedule
1: there wasn't much to schedule but yeah. you know even early on i would say my first month was my Dipping of my toe into that, like the first month, I think the first week after leaving my job, I had like I don't know, maybe like fifteen Zooms like scheduled, and I was like, wait a minute, this is this is not honoring what I was trying to do, and I think it was great because reflecting with you, it's like it was so imperfect, right? Like, you know, again, I was in the middle of still shedding a lot of my skin, still shedding a lot of my, my patterns. And it took at least a month. It took at least a month for me to slow down my brain. It was still moving at like lightning speed. It was still like the, the the hamster in my head was still running fast and I move fast. I can move really fast. So it, it, it took a, a lot of, uh, you know, will to, to, to make some of those day-to-day shifts, moment to moment shifts. And what was really, uh, well time was I, I did my first silent meditation retreat, virtual retreat at the end of my first month of having left work. And that really was critical for this practice of giving myself space and time and, and quietude.
0: Tell me about that silence retreat. Yeah,
1: it was, uh, it was such a powerful five days. It was my first time committing to silence. Um, it was easier to do, you know, living alone. Uh, but for me, I, I found so much comfort in the silence, surprisingly, because I'm a very social person. I love being in connection. I love being with friends, even virtually. But that time of being unplugged, I was not looking at email, no social media. Uh, I wasn't even reading. Um, I think I did a little bit of writing, but limited myself to just sitting still, laying still uh, outside of the retreat activities, which included meditation and some wisdom talks and some movement exercises. But outside of that, like that was the most quiet I'd been in my whole life. And wow, did it, did it make a difference in how I was being in relationship with my mind
0: that week? And say more to that. What what came to you?
1: I could hear myself. Hmm. I could hear what was going on in my body. I was just starting to learn at that time how to listen to my body. Uh, I was resting. I was honestly, sounds maybe dramatic, but it's true. I was resting from... At that time, like 33 some years of being on the grind, just going, 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 you know, uh, living here with my parents, I see my mom buzzing around. She hasn't stopped. Right. For 70, 75 years, just buzzing around like a little bee. And that, that week of that five days of silence, I like stopped my buzz I stopped buzzing around and I was like, wow, this is radical. <laughs> it was radical for me to take that break, to take that rest, to be that quiet.
0: And so often sometimes our bodies force us into that by getting, you know, we get really sick uh-huh. or something and we're exactly. forced into that rest. We're forced into that silence.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's usually the only time we ever learn.
1: Right, right.
0: About that.
1: And I feel so fortunate, you know, just the way that I've really brutalized my body over the years mm-hmm. and, and how much I've pushed myself and how hard I've worked, right? And I used to equate hard work to my value, but I, I've realized in this time period that my hard work and my uh, attachment to it uh, was just another story. Mm hmm. And so finally, as I gave myself easy work, I guess, right? Worked easy. Uh, it it was so much more giving to my spirit, to my soul, to my presence. I just felt alive. And I've been feeling alive really since.
0: Mm-hmm. I was reading your blog and there was something you said um, in kind of in relation to that was um, there are no wars within me and I love that line yeah uh,
1: yeah what does that
0: mean to you that you no longer have any wars within you
1: I appreciate you uh, bringing up that line because I, I I sat with that line for for quite some time and I was like is this true and I I I was afraid that if I wrote it that way, you know, people would assume like, oh, she's just like so happy and free, and that's not necessarily what I mean uh, by by saying that there are no wars within me. i I mean that there, the parts within me are are no longer hidden. They're no longer in contention with each other. They're no longer being neglected within. And there's so much more ease in my body. Even if there is something that I still am contemplating or don't have total clarity over, it doesn't feel harsh
0: Anymore. Mm-hmm. Mhm. It's that softness. Right. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's aspiring. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I read that from the blog post that is the announcement for your certification of <laughs> yeah. uh, being an integral coach. So congratulations on Thank that. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: It's a huge accomplishment.
1: I, yeah, I was reflecting and it was the most important, the most essential, the most meaningful learning journey I've been on so far. Mm-hmm. I feel more, that. Yeah, more importantly than any other degree I've had.
0: You know, mm-hmm. so this your experience in this last year for you, how has that inspired you now as a coach and the work that you do?
1: Ah, uh, I was just so excited about it. I don't necessarily know. Exactly what it all is gonna look like, and that's okay. Like there's there's just so much more embracing of that mystery. Uh but I just honestly I've been working with a handful of clients for the past year, and I'm just in love with all of them. And I am so inspired by each of them in their own unique ways, and I'm so I'm so hopeful by people's ability to heal themselves. With a little bit of love and support from others and from the world around them, people are capable of change. They're capable of shifting long held beliefs about who they are so that they can be freer and live deeper in themselves and be more of who they are in the world.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And so as an integral coach, my teachers, uh, they like to say, you know, if we we are in the, the deepest quality of our own presence and attention, we're actually not doing a ton. And I love the paradox of that. Uh, because there is actually a lot of love and energy uh, and time that I put into my engagements with my clients. And at the same time, it's, it's them. It's, they are doing the work of unfurling themselves in a way that allows them to come into more connection with themselves and what they want in their lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I always say when I, before I knew anything about coaching, when I hired a coach, I expected her to give me a list of Buzzfeed quizzes and tell me what to do with my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, I learned that it's so much more than that, that the coach is not the one who has the answers.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we have, we all have that knowing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we just have to learn how to tap into it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And as a coach, my intention is to help peel back some of those layers and to provide a very safe, loving open container for human beings to
0: unveil themselves Mm -hmm. Mm, it's beautiful well thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and sharing these beautiful insights and wisdoms it's just been a pleasure to talk with you
1: Oh, it's been such a delight, Katie, to be here with you. Thank you so much for giving me this space to to share more.
0: Isn't Danielle's story just so beautiful? I'm so inspired by the way that she looks back to move forward and looks deeper to grow fuller. Thank you, Danielle, for your thoughtfulness, your vulnerability, and your courage in sharing your story. If you'd like to hear more of Danielle's story and learnings, I have a link to her blog on my show notes at imchoosingcourage.com. Thank you for being with me today. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss another episode. And reach out on Instagram at Coaching so we can connect more. This is Katie Tute, and I'm Choosing Courage.